Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is Dr. Peter Abachi, a board-certified physician in anesthesia and pain management and the medical director of the Bay Area Pain and Wellness Center in Los Gatos, California. Dr. Abachi is here today on Health Watch to talk about his book, Take Charge of Your Chronic Pain, the latest research, cutting-edge tools, and alternative treatments for feeling better. If you'd like to join the conversation, if you have questions for Dr. Abachi today, the number is 503-231-8187. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Peter Abachi. Oh, thank you very much, David. So um, you can tell right off the bat with your book, Take Charge of Your Chronic Pain, that it's not a typical pain book in the sense that you start out with uh, saying that getting rid of treatments you don't need is essential to the healing process and that many standard treatments for pain actually could be standing in the way of progress. Can, can you el- elaborate a little bit about that? Sure. I think one of the things that motivated me to want to write, write a book like this was just sitting in my, in my seat or my shoes and, and, and seeing patients for so many years coming, you know, to our center and seeing what they've been through through the medical system and seeing how a lot of the problems that they were dealing with, a lot of the pain issues they were dealing with, or a lot of the lack of recovery that was going on in their lives, a lot of that was related to actually the medical system and the type of treatments they were getting and the things that were being done to them by, by their health care providers was, was actually, in many cases, a part of the problem. And, and I felt like, you know, I really needed to try to help educate people and understand, um, you know, why that is and, 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 you know, what's going on out there. And later in the book, I, I actually refer to it as the, as the King Midas touch. And, um, you know, in, um, in healthcare now, in medicine, in science, we have so much technology, so much, you know, new and innovative things that we can do. Yet, um, you know, if we don't, if we're not really careful how we use, you know, powerful medications or drugs or are careful, you know, what we cut or what surgeries we do, we, we can, you know, unfortunately really screw some people up. Um, and just like with King Midas, you know, everything he touched turned to gold and, and it turned out to be a, a hex, not a, not a gift. And, uh, so we have to be really careful how we use all this technology and all these medications and all these, things in really smart ways for, for the benefit of the people, because we're, we're really here to get people healthy and well and, and not, you know, obviously make their lives worse. Well, before we talk about some of the, the medications or interventions that have maybe less known downsides, uh, can you talk a little bit about the risks of not addressing chronic pain? Because there's, there's a whole cycle that can happen for people, a downward spiral that can happen in their lives if they don't address their chronic pain. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, living with and being in, in, in pain is a, is a potentially a, a life changer for, for the person. And, um, and the, the, the number of people in that, you know, who are part of that keeps going up and up. And, you know, as maybe some of the listeners heard, uh, some of the statistics that, you know, came out last year on chronic pain, they, they estimate that there's now 116 million Americans who, who deal with pain on a, on a regular daily basis. Uh, at a cost of about six hundred billion dollars a year, you know, to society, it's a huge problem. And there's so many people whose lives have been dramatically changed in some cases from that. And 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 you you know, we we want treatments, we want therapies to help people, um, you know, have 
you know, happy, fulfilling lives, to be engaged, to, to have a good quality of life, to be able to, you know, enjoy themselves and, and to be, you know, I think everybody wants to be able to contribute in some way and, and, and people need to be able to get the treatments and things that they need so that they can be, you know, great members of society. And, and without all that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not good. And so, you know, people really need help in, in, in accomplishing those kind of goals. Let's take a caller. Welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Dr. Peter Abachi. Hello, you're on the yeah. air. You are. Yeah, well, uh, there's been discussion uh, of uh, controversial treatment using uh, increasing doses of uh, high-dose ketamine over multiple days to treat uh, centrally sensitized uh, pain syndromes uh, in the extremities called CRPS and also possibly for uh, drug-resistant, uh, you know, kinds of uh, headache and other chronic pain. Now, ketamine is abused on the street, but this is uh, being developed in medical centers uh, in Pennsylvania and Florida and L.A. and elsewhere to treat uh, pain that doesn't respond to opioids or any other uh, pain drugs. What do you think? Well, you know, ketamine has kind of, re it's an old drug that's kind of resurfaced as a, as a popular uh, discussion item, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. And it, it's actually analogous to, to PCP, you know, the street drug. They're, they're very similar uh, pharmacologically, and, and, and that might be why it has uh, some street value right now. Um, I, I had a lot of experience using ketamine as an anesthesia resident when I was doing my anesthesia training at USC, and we used it a lot intravenously um, in helping um, treat mostly during anesthesia and also treating some post-operative pain um, in people who had been through major surgeries or been in, in major trauma because of its um, kind of good stable hemodynamic effects, meaning you don't get drops or swings in, in blood pressure with, with ketamine. So we used to use it quite a bit as a way of avoiding other drugs that, that may lower blood pressure, do other things. And, and I appreciate the, the, powerful, the powerfulness of the drug and, and the strong sort of brain effects that it had and, and, and the strong pain relief effects that it also had. It also seems to really kind of dissociate a person um, from almost from their body, their mind from their body in a, in a, in a weird way. I, I did try using it a little bit in, in more of the, the, the pain treatment setting or the outpatient pain management setting um, when I started practicing because of, of the interest that I had in it on the anesthesia side. Um, and, and I didn't get really the, you know, the, the, the type of results that I was, that I was looking for at the time. And that goes back, you know, more than 10 years ago now. And now it's, it's kind of resurfacing in some of the academic centers in an, in sort of an infusion setting way and, and, and with some, you know, positive, uh, results in some of the published research on, on things like complex regional pain syndrome or, or, or CRPS. Um, and, and so there, there may be a place for it in, 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 you know, in, in how we move forward with pain management. I think it's, um, you know, like all new new things or a lot of new medications, a lot of the the problems or the bugs, you know, or the side effects don't become apparent until later. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm always I always recommend caution um, in, with new things when they come out and being careful about about that. 
Um, this is a, obviously not a new not a new medication by by any stretch of the imagination, but the way it's being used is is a little bit different now in, in more of a, a a chronic pain setting. So you know it's a powerful drug, and um, it very well may have a, a place in what we do. But I've seen a lot of very powerful drugs come and go over the years, and because of the either the side effects or, or lack of long term efficacy, you know they didn't stick. Doctor, so think- Dr. Abachi, is, yeah. speaking of, of powerful drugs, one of the more interesting parts of, of your book is around opioids. And it's, it's quite fascinating to learn that even though opioids obviously are one of the most effective uh, pain relievers that we have in our, in our uh, pharmacies, um, they tend to actually not only stop working but actually contribute to pain in the long run. That, that was a, a new piece of information, and I was curious why that isn't uh, more well-known. Well, that's, that's a great point, and, and, and another reason why you know I wanted to get information like that out there to the public and, and what happened is, you know, op- opioids became more commonly used in, in sort of outpatient treatment starting really over a decade ago. And, and, you know, we started to recognize in the 90s that we had these strong drugs and people's post-operative pain and cancer pain was not being treated adequately and that, that we shouldn't hold back or, or, or not use pain relievers that could help people recover quicker from their treatments or surgeries or, or, or into life needs. And, and so that, that quickly sort of shifted into, well, if it works really well in that setting, then, gosh, it should really help people who deal with chronic pain every day, and we should be using those medications more and more to help those folks as well. And, and that shift and really sort of took over, in a lot of ways, the practice of, of pain management. And now what we've seen, since that's been going on for, for over a decade now, we're starting to see what are some of the long-term uh, potential side effects and problems with that. And it turns out there are many. And, and one of the ones that I, that I discuss um, in Take Charge of Your Chronic Pain is this, um, this idea called opioid-induced hyperalgesia. And, and what I, I call it the pain pill paradox in the book as well, meaning... Um, if you're on medicines like that for a prolonged period of time, you actually your pain actually gets worse, and you start to become more sensitive to pain. So it's it's kind of like putting somebody on medicine for their blood pressure, and then after a couple of years, their blood pressure starts to go up, and it gets higher and higher as opposed to being well controlled. And, and the way the the opioids interact within the the central nervous system, at least in some cases, and for some people it may lead to this hypersensitivity to pain and they actually start to feel worse and feel a need you know that they have to take more and more or stronger and stronger dosages of their opioid medications and it's not something the public is really aware of and it's not something people often are you know made that knowledge not made privy to them when when they choose to go on these medications and then of course because there's the dependency once you're on them it's not easy to get off and you know people really need to know about these things and be well informed before they start taking medications like that in case you just tuned in we're talking today with dr peter abachi the author of take charge of your chronic pain uh so dr abachi um one of the things you say in the book also is that Patients should realize that getting a diagnosis is not the same as knowing the cause of your problem necessarily. What, what do you mean by that? 
Well, that's a great question, and, and that's where I think a lot of people um, get mixed up and end up with treatments or things that maybe aren't in their best interest. So uh, an example of that is let's say, let's say your neck hurts and you have neck pain, and you go you know, see your doctor and they do some tests and things and they maybe do some x-rays or MRIs and maybe they decide, you know, from these tests that there's a degenerative disc problem or a bulging disc problem or something like that. And then all of a sudden that becomes your your diagnosis uh, of your problem. And then any treatments that you have become focused on that particular diagnosis, like a, a disc problem in the neck or something like that. But in reality, if your your healthcare providers don't really investigate what's going on with you in a deeper way, they may be missing out on on a lot of the reasons why you might be having neck pain. For example, um, you know, a lot of us spend too much time on our computers at, at work or our workstations. Maybe there's some uh, ergonomic problems, you know, in the way our workstation is, or maybe we're just keyboarding too much, or you know, maybe you know, maybe we're under a lot of stress, and, and certainly the stress reaction can cause, um, you know, tension within the muscles around the, the upper shoulders and neck, and maybe that's causing neck pain and headaches. Um, you know, maybe maybe we're, you know, not sleeping well. Maybe we're driving a lot. You know, maybe there's a lot of other things going on, um, in, you know, in, in our lives. Maybe our body mechanics aren't, you know, right, right. Or maybe there's something else wrong in another part of the body that's causing the neck to hurt. You know, there's so much... That there's so many layers to the onion, you know, when it comes to understanding a person's pain. And if we don't really take the time to peel through all those and really understand what's going on, with, you know, within the core of that person, and, and we just latch on to some sort of a diagnosis based on some test or something, and, and not that that information's not, you know, important or useful, but it's one layer, I think, of many layers of a person, and we start to just focus on one particular diagnosis that maybe doesn't really explain the whole, you know, reasons why this person is, is not feeling well and, and doing well. You really caution people not to jump to quick fixes to immediately to surgery or to pain medication uh, versus looking at some non-surgical or, or more holistic or comprehensive pain program interventions. Is there any research on head-to-head between the two, people um, being uh, followed who say, get back surgery versus doing some more of a comprehensive pain program? Well, there actually is. Um, in, in 2006, um, a, a couple of um, researchers uh, in the United States, uh, Gatchel um, and Okafuji, p- published a, a really the, you know, the best sort of overview outlook on, on pain treatment, on pain problems, looking at outcomes, comparing different types of treatments, um, and, and looking at cost. Um, and they did a, a really thorough evaluation based on really all the information and data that's been published up until that time. I, d- I do talk about their, their results a bit um, in my book. And, and, and really the findings of that were um, certainly with spine problems like low back pain, um, surgery was really not the, the most effective or most cost-effective uh, way uh, of treating in, you know general sort of chronic back pain. Um, in general, what they found is across, you know, uh, looking at many different factors and many different measurement tools and many different things, that the most successful way to help a person or treat a person with chronic pain is through a more comprehensive multidisciplinary program or comprehensive care model. And when it's, when we say multidisciplinary, I think we're meaning bringing different sort of 
specialties or modalities together to help a person. You know, looking at both the the physical and 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 medical parts of the of the person as well as the the psychological and emotional parts and bringing those together. So bringing kind of the the physical and the psychological together in a comprehensive way, working with individuals to to, to work through those issues because pain really is a whole person, you know, mind-body phenomenon and and not treating it that way and, you know, just just focusing on a body part or, you know, a a back or a foot or a hand or whatever and not the totality of the problem really falls short. And and, and I think the research, you know, the the outcome studies and the evidence-based medicine definitely does support that. So walk us through what someone, let's say someone came in with a bulging disc in their low back, chronic back pain, maybe it's acute flare-up, and and one of their physicians has recommended possibly getting back surgery. What would be a... a what would a program look like that was non-surgical? Um, what would be some of the recommendations that you might start with somebody with, um, in that scenario? Well, sure. Well, one of the programs that we, we run here at the Barry Pain and Wellness Center is a, a six-week intensive program. We call it a, a functional restoration program. And it, it's, for the individual, it's like going to school. You know, you, they come every day to our, our facility, and we have it set up so they can go through classes during the day. So every hour they have a different sort of educational experience. Some of the classes are more psychology-based uh, and educational in that way. Uh, they get a couple of hours of exercise, so there's different types of exercises and things that they may do depending on their specific uh, problem. If it's a, a back issue, you know, we'll, we'll work on certain, you know, things for that. They get... Um, wellness classes, what we call wellness classes every day, which bring in things like meditation work, relaxation training, breathing exercises, yoga, tai chi. All of these things have been shown to be very effective in helping people um, improve their pain management. So we, we bring those classes in. We have other types of classes that we do. We even have an art therapist on on staff. And, and so patients get a broad kind of experience of different um, specialties and things that that are kind of jumbled together in a way to help them step by step, day by day, learn tools, you know, learn new ways of managing their pain, learning how to do other things so that their body gets rehabilitated and, and, and the, the emotional side of it gets to heal at the same time. And so it's a, it's a pretty intensive six-week program. That, you know, the patients are here for several hours every day while they go through that. But this is the type of program that Gatchel and Okafuji had published data on that, that shows the best results um, long-term. And so that type of experience is, is I, I think, can be life-changing, you know, for people who are really struggling. You know, we, we see folks who they can't get out of bed. You know, they can't, they can't leave their room. They, they're, they're socially withdrawn. Their, their depression is, their anxiety is, is sky high. You know, they can't go to work. They can't exercise. They can't take care of themselves. And, and, and how, do you, how do you help a person get the tools to be able to overcome those significant, serious, you know, barriers to having a, a good, productive life? And that's how it happens. And, you know, reality is, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm not against surgery or against anything necessarily, but, you know, it's hard, it's hard to just operate on somebody and expect them to be able to overcome all those different, you know, life challenges as a result of just the surgery. They, they often need much more, you know, you know, education and help and training in, in, their, in their life in order to have a life. 
And you mentioned exercise as part of the program, and I was curious about that. You, when you talk about people who have trouble getting out of bed, or obviously anybody who's in chronic pain, how do you how do you negotiate figuring out uh, an exercise program when maybe their body signals are telling them that it hurts? Yeah, this, it's one of the great challenges for anybody with, with chronic pain. Um, certainly, the, the data and the, the the research on this is very positive. We we know that you know exercise ultimately improves pain. We know it actually improves depression and mood disorders. Um, we know that quality of life measurements are you know important with exercise. We also know that it's an important tool in preventing other chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and things like that. Yet, it's very difficult for the patient who's in pain to start to move. And there's a there's a, a concept in, in pain management called fear avoidance or the fear of reinjury, and our brain starts to develop a lot of fear after we've been uh, seriously injured or hurt, or when we've been in pain for an extended period of time, and this fear starts to sort of box us in um, and keep us from really overcoming you know the problems or injuries that we have. And one of the examples I, I give patients is. Um, you know, I say, let's say you sprain your ankle and you stay off of it for two weeks and you let it heal. You know, you ice it, you elevate it, and then after a couple of weeks, the the sprain starts to get better and you start to walk and, you know, you start to do things again and you start to exercise and, you know, run and jump on all those things and, and then you get better again. But let's say you sprain your ankle and instead of starting to use it again after two weeks, let's say you wait six months. Let's say you're so afraid you're going to hurt your ankle again that you, you stay off of it for six months. And then at that point, then you start to try to engage, you know, your foot or your ankle and you try to walk or exercise or do things. Think how hard it's going to be after six months of not doing anything. You know, at that point, your whole body's changed. You know, your whole leg has probably gotten weak and your back's probably hurting because you're walking on the other leg more and there's so many other things going on. It becomes so much harder at that point. So, so, so definitely, you know, intersecting and getting the body moving when it's been injured or when it's being limited by pain is so, it's challenging, but it's so critical to a person's long-term, you know, good outcomes. Are, are there any non-pharmaceutical uh, supplements or herbs that you tend to use with patients, or are you mostly using uh, um, non-oral medications in your program? Well, the, on the supplement side, um, there, for, for many things, there's not a lot of great research or data out there to support them, but there is a, you know, there is a little bit being done in certain areas. One, one thing that we'll often recommend for folks who are, who are interested in trying um, you know, some non-traditional, you know, oral agents, fish oils, for example, um, seem to have some studies supporting the use of fish oils as a, a way of relieving inflammation or pain symptoms associated with inflammation, you know, things like neck pain or joint pain or things like that. Um, definitely uh, just a, uh, you know, no supplement is really going to be helpful if, if a person doesn't have a good healthy diet, you know, and a, and a good dose of, you know, healthy antioxidants, uh, you know, a strong component of a plant-based diet, um, you know, is important. And, and I think research shows that supplements in people who don't eat really well are probably a waste of time. Um, and I think the same probably holds true with, with pain. And, um, uh, you know, another thing to keep in mind, too, is, is a having or trying to have a, a healthy body weight is important. And the, the, the effects of, 
uh, of obesity, you know, on parts of the body like the knee joints or the hip joints or the spine, it, it, it does have an impact. And, and trying to, to lose the extra pounds ultimately helps the body feel better and, and decrease the pain. Well, earlier this year, we had the the fitness columnist from the New York Times on about her book, and, and she brought up some points that I think really drive home some of your the message and take charge of your chronic pain as well around uh, cortisone shots. Um, if people who are getting lots of cortisone shots um, uh, to just to take away the pain, they actually had a higher relapse rate of injury. And similarly, athletes who were preemptively taking a lot of anti-inflammatories for their joints were actually they actually would find more inflammation in their joints over time. And which really seems to bring us back to the idea that we can't just look at taking away the symptom without looking at why the symptom's there to begin with. Absolutely. You know, we got to go deeper with, with what's going on and, and why, you know, why we're feeling the way we are. I, I think with, with, you know, arthritis and joints, you know, they've also had some, some research published over the last year showing that exercise actually helps decrease arthritic pain and, and joint inflammation. You know, we, we're starting to learn more about how the cartilage can start to repair itself in some ways. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good time to rethink how, how we approach our, our health care and, you know, all the things going on and, you know, with the elections and politics and, and health care laws and, and the budget and all these things, you know, it's really a good time to try to be smart. And, you know, I think everybody's experiencing, you know, their premiums going up in many cases, their health care premiums and uncertainty over Medicare. And, you know, we, we, we really want to, you know, learn, you know, rethink what we're doing, keep it simple, do the basics well. And, um, you know, and take advantage of, of the of the technology or the breakthroughs, you know, that, that really makes sense and you know and, and, and have good you know good evidence to really support them but but be cautious about it. Do you have a website, Doctor Abachi, if people wanted to learn more about your book or some of the recommendations you have? Absolutely. I actually have a couple. Um, I have my my own website is is Peterabachi dot com Abachi A B A C I um, and that has a lot more information about my book. It has information about uh, WebMD. Uh, I, I do questions and answers in the pain management community uh, weekly for WebMD, so I'm always happy to answer anybody's questions at home that way. Um, I also write for the Huffington Post, and they can read some of my articles um, on the website. We also have a um, practice website for our own practice called uh, the Bay Area Pain and Wellness Center, and that website is BAPWC. Dot com. Uh, if they want to learn more about our, our, our program, you know, that we talked about earlier, or some of those uh, special treatments that we do. Um, I'm actually also working on a new website, uh, a more of an informational website on, on pain and pain management and chronic pain. And don't know what that one's going to be called yet. <laughs> well, it was great having you on Health Watch today. Thank you very much. We were talking today with Dr. Peter Abachi, the author of Take Charge of Your Chronic Pain. If you missed part of today's program or you want to listen to archive shows or even subscribe to Health Watch through iTunes, you can do so at drnaiman.com slash healthwatch, D-R-N-A-I-M-O-N dot com slash healthwatch. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine. Next up is Making Contact. <laughs> 